Welcome to U-Turn. This episode, I'm talking with Patrick Carey, the man responsible for the sweet, slinky guitar leads in the alt-country pop indie rock whatever band Limbeck. Since Limbeck stopped touring and recording full-time in 2008, he has worked for Volcom, first as a graphic designer and more recently as global art director. He hasn't given up music completely, though. Uh, Patrick has played in the bands The Pride of Erie PA with drummer Tony Thaxton, formerly of Motion City Soundtrack, and The Young Dudes with Rob McLean, who was the lead singer of Limbeck. And somehow, in the midst of everything I just mentioned, he manages to be a father to three sons and find the time to co-star in a Swiffer commercial, which you can find in this episode's show notes. So, Patrick, thanks for being with me tonight. Yeah, thanks for having me, Eric. This is awesome. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate you making the time for this, and I'm really yeah. interested to hear your story. So, yeah, you nailed you nailed the intro, man. <laughs> I appreciate that. That's always good to know. I haven't asked any of my guests yet. Hey, did I get everything right there? But yeah, on point. It's it's good to know. And and I don't know if you had a chance to listen yet to my episode with uh, Sam Means, but he specifically uh, calls you out at the end of it and says that I had to get you on the show. And oh, and actually, yeah. you are the first person I thought of in terms of doing this podcast. Uh, oh, killer! When, when I saw you on LinkedIn or something, and. And I yeah. saw that, you know, your job title was like, oh, wow. Okay. So he was in Limbeck and now he is doing this other thing. So yeah. that's, that's definitely a huge U-turn. So I thought you'd be perfect. So yeah. I, I, I've been starting every show so far. I think it's been really good to kind of dig into people's uh, past and where they came from and, you know, what they were interested in doing as a kid and then how they kind of moved into their first career and second career and all that. So wh- where did you grow up? Are you uh, Southern California, born and raised? Yeah, pretty much. I'm, I'm living about 10 miles south of where I was, uh, where I grew up in San Clemente now. Um, and I've been here for like, I guess about 10 years now. So, yeah, born and raised Southern California. Okay, and what did your parents do for a living? My dad was an uh, aerospace engineer, and then my mom was a librarian kind of on and off. Okay, and aerospace is pretty common in Southern California, right? It is. There's, uh, I guess it was McDonnell Douglas formerly, and now now they turned or merged with Boeing, and that's kind of in the Seal Beach area. So, yeah, my dad was up there. I guess, yeah, I guess there's quite a few around that area. But, um, and did you have any siblings then? I have one sister four years younger. And so as a kid, then growing up in Southern California, what did you want to be when you grew up? (laughs) Mm. The the, uh, quintessential question. Yeah, man. Uh, gosh, I, I feel like when I was super young, I was, I was always into sport. I was pretty heavy into sports. Really? So I might've even, that might've been a, a weird dream. Um, I want to be a baseball player so I can relate. <laughs> yeah, I, pl- I played baseball and soccer really heavy. Not that there's, I mean, at the time the the major league of soccer wasn't as prevalent, but uh, yeah, I was playing soccer and baseball pretty heavily and, and up until my senior year of high school. And then I let all my sports go for music. So how did you get into music then? So music, I started playing guitar for, for, for a project in eighth grade. To just you had to pick up something new and and then in turn teach it to the class. So I was like, oh, I'll I'll, I'll try guitar. That sounds cool. It was kind of like, man, I I don't even remember. I guess it was like kind of Nirvana era, and I, I was like, that sounds really cool. So I I picked up the guitar and learned some Nirvana songs and played them for my my eighth grade class. And and then it kind of just kind of was there, I guess. And then ninth grade, uh, I met Rob in ninth grade that, that played in Limbeck. Yep, and Rob McLean and, uh, for everybody listening in case they are not aware, he's the lead singer of, of Limbeck. Yeah, so we met in ninth grade and then kind of bonded on punk and 
gets, we both play guitar and uh, a lot of overlapping interests. So then it was, I mean, music was, music was definitely huge for me at that point, but not necessarily anything I wanted to, to do with my life at that point in ninth grade, 10th grade, whatever. But uh, we, we got into, we played in a, a band in high school together and uh, yeah, I guess. Yeah. And then, and then, uh, and then we graduated high school and then um, kind of separated for a little bit. Like I went to Ir- UC Irvine for school and uh, he was somewhere else around, around this zone. Um, but then shortly after high school, we kind of retouched base with each other and he had this band going and I, I was actually a, a late add on to that band to, to what Limbeck was. Yeah. At the time. Was it called Limbeck at the time? It was, it was called the bastard sons of Limbeck. Was oh, like okay. Our, it was like <laughs> the elongated name. Um, I don't know if you know this Limbeck trivia story, but the guys actually went to school with the son of Willie Ames who played buddy Limbeck on Charles in charge. I so did not know like, that. Okay. Yeah, so it was named. It was kind of named like officially after Buddy Limbeck was like the real origin of the name. But, oh, okay. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah. So that's that timing. And then I, I get. And then I guess. I mean, I started college, and I honestly at that at that point I had no idea. Like I went in as with an undeclared major, just kind of like, like, it, with inklings towards art. I was into photography and. A, like basically a little bit of like barely into graphic design, I guess at that point, but just had no idea what I was going to do. Around what time was this? Uh, what year? That was like 98, 99, I guess. 98. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So then I, yeah, I went to school at UC Irvine for a couple years, kind of f- like tuned into being an art major at that point. But the school was geared towards fine art and like, becoming a showing artist and developing a portfolio, which wasn't really my, my goal at that point. I was like, I want to get a job and, you know, at this point, like do something that I'll make money. Cause that, the, the, the career of being a fine artist sounded really rough at that point. (laughs) So, So I was like, I don't know about this, but, but then like, I guess music was going on in the background. We were just kind of playing around town and then the tide changed to, playing more and more and then touring, touring in the summer. And then that, that turned to like taking a quarter off of school. And then I think at that point I was like, if we're going to do this, I guess I got to, I got to drop out and take a break for a while. And I don't know. I, I just, it's funny over Thanksgiving, I just talked to my parents. I was like, I don't even know how you, how you let me do that. Cause I just, they're like, well, you were, you were over 18. I was like, still, that's crazy that you were like, had enough faith in my musical endeavors to let me drop out of college and go for it. But I'm thankful. That is pretty impressive. And as Sam told me that he got kicked out of his house, I guess, and never went back. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of a point of pride for him. But I don't think his parents loved that he was not going to college. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. They were, I mean, I'm, I'm lucky that that my parents were, I mean, I'm, that's the, that's the, that's the thing coming full circle now trips me out. Cause before, I guess probably right at the beginning of college. I mean, I was, I guess, 18, I guess, but still didn't have any idea. I was, you know, just a, just a stupid kid. And and my parents were like, yeah, go on tour for two weeks and like drive around in a van with your buds and 
which is I, good advice because I've got to believe that's an amazing experience. And it's one hey, I never did. I played in bands, but we never uh, toured. And I kind of wish that I would have had that experience. Oh, man. Yeah. It's the it's there's nothing in comparison. But I see. Yeah. Now having kids, I'm like, oh, my gosh, what I what <laughs> I let you tell my kids, your kids see that, that? Yeah. I, I guess I'd have to let them go. But. Well, something that you said is really interesting. And I want to, before getting too deep into the music, uh, explore a little bit. And you said that you had this idea in your head that you needed to make money. And I think that a lot of kids that are interested in art are not thinking about that in the slightest, especially at 18. So how did, do you know where that came from? Like this idea that you actually wanted to build a career because that, that seems kind of unusual anyway for somebody interested in art. Yeah, I, I guess just maybe like a, I don't know, just being in touch with the reality of the whole thing where they are teaching at, my, at UC Irvine, their art pro at the time. Cause that, that's what, that's a trip too. When I started the art program there, you know, like late nineties, there wasn't as much of a d- digital arts program there. So there was maybe like, I had, a, I actually had a digital arts minor, but it wasn't anything like it wasn't a full developed program. So there's only a few classes that you could take and they're pretty random. So, uh, they're developing these, these people to like, you know, check your portfolio and, and do art shows and like basically like starve and <laughs> make art for, for the good of the good of the, the world, I guess. And, and that just tripped me out. I was like, what am I, how am I going to survive? Like, what am I going to do? Like, I don't know. Like, I feel like, I, it's some, it's my time to like, I don't know. I guess, I guess it didn't seem realistic at that point for me to do that for a living. Do you think you it got just, that from your parents at all? Like, was that just kind of your culture at home growing up? Like that was just what you did. You were going to have to get out there and support yourself. And- I, I never, you know, be like, I have never thought of it until now you said that, but maybe so maybe just the way that, you know, my dad provided and like, there wasn't really ever, like, I mean, you know, we, we were, we're, we were okay, like doing fine. So I I don't think it was like, I I never like was like, Oh, I got to get, I got to do better. It was like, no, that's just me. Yeah. Maybe it's just, that was like how it is. So I was like, I don't know. Yeah. Cause some art kids are just thinking why well, they're thinking exactly what the program seemed to be uh, pushing them towards, which is just, I want to make art and that's what I want to do. Kind of a very ethereal, like very not focused in reality. And it sounds like you were pretty much the opposite. So yeah, that's really very, interesting. Very rooted in reality. I, I, I think I, I, I mean, you know, thinking back now too, I think, I think I'm, I'm a little bit, I was a little bit more hesitant about, just the whole, how that works with fine art. Like I've always been a little, um, I don't know if humble is the word, but just like, I mean, just like kind of more shy, I guess, just like introverted as far as like showing that at that point in my life, like showing that part of my creative side was not as comfortable. So when these, these fine art classes are really kind of trying to wrench it out of you, like, I know I took a class that, that like, uh, experimented in performance art for a little bit and that tripped me out pretty hard. Just, this is not where I'm supposed to, I don't, it just didn't really jive totally. So I think I was like, I got, I got to go something that makes more sense. That's a little bit, a little bit more black and white, but still rooted in art, I guess at that point, maybe that, 
I don't know. It's hard. It's hard to totally put myself in, in my 18 year old shoes, but oh, totally. But uh, I'm definitely going to try. You know, every yeah, every yeah, step no, of the way no, here, totally, and then it'll, totally. then it'll be 20 and 21 and 22. <laughs> what were you thinking when you were 27? But <laughs> right. but so then that leads you down the path you mentioned earlier, which is playing in this in band in the band Limbeck. Mm-hmm. Uh, when did the name get shortened to just Limbeck? From, before I before I actually okay okay. So yeah. when you joined on, uh, it was just Limbeck, and at that point it was you and Rob and then a couple other dudes. Yeah, the, the same. Well, the, uh, Matt, who was our Matt Stevens, who was the drummer for the uh, High Everything's Great record and Let Me Come Home record, he was in the band at that point, and Justin, who's been in the who was in the band. So it was pretty much pretty much the the lineup for the first solid lineup for the first handful of years. They were, a, I believe, they were a three piece for a while before I started, and then he's like, "Oh, I played guitar with this dude with my buddy Pat in high school. Like, it would be cool to." to fill out the sound a little bit and have some backup vocals and sure. Which yeah. is definitely, well, that was your calling card in Limbeck for sure. And and then Justin was the bearded guy, right? Yep. Okay. He's got a big red beard for people big that are not beard. aware. Huge, very distinctive. Can't <laughs> Happy miss. So <laughs> you guys are, are playing as Limbeck and it sounds like you just kind of gradually were building a following to the point where you could make it more and more of a full-time thing. Is that, is that what was going on? Completely. Yeah. Yeah. We were in, in very realistic terms, I guess, you know, doing the playing everywhere in town on, on the weekends. And then that branched out to, to just doing regional stuff, like going out to Phoenix and Tucson and then North to San Francisco and Fresno and Bakersfield and stuff like that. So keeping it like just kind of like slowly expanding our web, which I don't know. I, I I mean, I guess topic for later, but I don't know how bands do it these days because it's it seems it seems just so oversaturated. But at that time, it just there like since digital presence wasn't as big, it seemed like it just it just made a lot of sense and it worked. You know what I mean? Like right. just getting out there playing uh, in those local like local shows in the regions that were close to us, it just, it did well. And, and then yeah, made we made enough money to keep doing it or it just yeah. made financial sense to yeah, just keep it, devoting yeah, time it, to it. But it definitely built up and it was like, Whoa, this is, this is working for us in these regions. So yeah. And your sound back then, from what I understand, I was actually not a fan uh, with, of the earlier album. I hadn't heard you guys then, uh, yeah. but that was more like power pop kind of almost pop punky from what I understand. Yeah, completely. Like our, uh, we have a, a, cassette demo or cassette was maybe our first release that was, I wasn't on, but I, I, I love it. It kind of, it sounded like green day pretty much, but, um, really, I, I, I love it, but, uh, whatever. I think we were just really, um, really wearing our influences completely on our sleeves without really making much, uh, new breaking much new ground at that point. And then we kind of like, you know, like, uh, that was it. When then when I got on board, our first record was a little bit more involved by the like the newer indie bands like uh, Jimmy World, I guess, and Get Up Kids were were pretty big influences to us at that point. But we I don't think at that like on our first record we weren't really doing much breaking any new ground either. It was just kind of. Um, 
I don't know. Kind of repeat what you know a little bit. Yeah, and I, yeah, exactly. I was in a band that did the same thing. It was a ska punk band, and we, I mean, we sounded like Real Big Fish meets Less Than Jake. Like, whatever. It, was, we, yeah. it wasn't we was original in the slightest. And it's really funny to me that you say it this way, because Sam said the same thing of the format that, at first, they were they were in the band Never Gonna Score, and they were doing basically Newfound Glory-esque drive-through pop punk. But then he specifically cited Jimmy World and Get Up Kids as being influences in moving them more in the, like you said, complicated or just kind of more intricate and unique mm-hmm original so it's 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 funny to me that you and the format both kind of in two separate areas kind of ended up moving towards the same place and you guys ended up touring together and kind of being part of that same scene i don't know the exact story but i'm there i'm pretty sure that we that we were supposed to play with never gonna score in santa Ana, california and it didn't happen and now like in our (laughs) early limbeck days there was a never gonna score it was like the stereo sure yeah and um Man, some other like Fuel by Ramen band, and then never gonna never gonna score was on the bill, and then, and then I think we actually did play with them in Phoenix. I'm pretty sure we did, or maybe. <laughs> oh no, you know what? He did. He talk about. Sorry, no, go I, ahead. I, I didn't listen to that one yet because I wanted to do my my, my yeah, podcast sure. with you first. But um, he played in a band called This Past Year as yes, well. Yes. Okay, so I think I'm. That's what it was. We played with this past year. And that was the one right after Never Gonna Score, I think. Um, exactly. Pretty, pretty shortly lived. But yeah. Exactly. So, so you guys yeah. all kind of uh, were evolving. It, like you weren't in the same scene necessarily geographically, but you were in kind of the same scene musically, which I think is yeah, really interesting. Totally. And totally. kind of evolving kind of, at the same time. And exactly. and so back to Limbeck, uh, mm-hmm. not to deviate too much, sorry, mm-hmm. but it's just it's interesting, all these connections. No, it's all good. You uh, guys somehow ended up in an iMac commercial in 2000, I believe, right? Yeah. How did that happen? Because this was during that that earlier like power pop still kind of sort of whatever you want to call it sound. Yeah, that was random. Um, we had a one of our buddies, David, was um, kind of we were kind of messing around uh, another kind of more, more get up kids influence. But we were messing around with the idea of having keys in our band, like having like a synthesizer or something. Sure. So our buddy David was playing. And his sister worked for Shiat Day, which I, I don't know if there's there's still Apple. They still advertising. are. They, they, just, have, okay. they have a, a little small component that still does Apple stuff. Like gotcha. Yeah. So she was there. I don't know if she's still there, but um, she was there and they were, you know, rolling out that those initial iMac ads where it was the close up on the screen and then pulled back to show you that the the full like fluorescent orange <laughs> a highlighted iMac or the the neon blue highlighted iMac, but, uh, she's, they, they were doing the thing that to cut iMovie, like a commercial for iMovie. And they they, the idea they pitched was having a, a, like a garage band. And, um, she's like, Oh, my brother's playing in a band. And, and they're like, yeah, well, let's just, let's just, you know, shoot it and, and see what happens. And, and we're like, yeah, that's, I mean, you know, we were, we were young dudes with, uh, stars in our eyes and no, and no, no, uh, represent, no legal representation. Oh, sure. so, yeah. so we were like, yeah, let's do it. So they shot it in the garage and then, then there's a little bit of back and forth. Uh, I don't Cause you, do you know that we were like not called Limbeck in the commercial? Right. It's the garage monkeys. Right. And I'm going to post a, a link to this for sure. So okay. people can check this out. Yeah. They, they, uh, they were like, yeah, Limbeck doesn't sound like, a, like garage band enough for us. And, and we're like, okay, well, what did you have in mind? And then 
Garage Monkeys was one. And then something having to do with Banditos was the other one. That would have been cool, actually. Yeah, it would have been really cool. I think isn't there, there's like a Bloodshot Records band called Banditos or something. Because I, I was going to say, if, if that isn't used, you should totally use that for your next project. But Well, yeah, so they they did that and we were like, whatever. And then... And then we and then we were touring, and then our then like their represent representative from I guess Shia Dame or whoever called our. It was funny because we were on tour, so they called our our parents because we didn't have cell phones. There were there like you know cell phones weren't as big at the time, so they called our parents and they said, "Hey, we're going to use your your sons in these print advertisements. Um, we're going to send you a little check," and it. It was, it was, I guess, next to nothing for what it was. And our parents were like, oh, that's amazing. Yeah, totally. So they all said, yeah. And there wasn't any, there wasn't like a contract or anything. Um, but then, and then we we're like, we came home and we we're like, whoa, this is crazy. It was like in Rolling Stone and, and all that stuff. And then they're like, well, we'll let you know if it's going to go like in video form on TV. And then, you know, nothing happened. And then one of our friends called us one night and was said, I was watching MTV at like 12, like midnight or something. And, and your guys's commercial came on and we were like, Whoa, no way. Um, freaked out. And they were like, we didn't even get notified. So like, technically we hadn't really done any like contract for it either. So with this lawyer we were working with, he kind of like saw huge dollar signs for us being used without our own permission. And it kind of went downhill pretty fast. And then, uh, it got weird in the back end cause they were using it, but our attorney wanted to like basically sue them. And then they wanted to sue us because he <laughs> was going to sue them and it got really gross. And then they pulled the commercial and, and then it all went away. <laughs> <laughs> so the garage monkeys were short lived, <laughs> but man, we bought, we bought garage monkeys.com. We thought it was going to be our ticket. Really? Okay. Yeah. We were like, everybody's going to see this and they're going to be like, who's that? Band? <laughs> that was our thought at the time. And you, so, and so you managed to litigate yourselves out of that basically. Well, I mean, who knows I mean, what we would have happened? Yeah, it worked. It worked out. I mean, we, we got a tour van out of the whole thing. Oh, so that, that's, it that's was, good. It was for the best. Yeah, it was for the best. And did the van last you a while? Oh man, it lasted us. It lasted us till the till the bitter end. That's it awesome. was. Uh, I mean, we we actually that's a that's a crazy thing too. We put we bought it with thirty thousand miles, and then put I think we put five hundred and eighty thousand, or we put five hundred and forty thousand miles on it. Oh my god! And then we got a new not got a new engine at because the whole thing like blew up at three hundred thousand miles. <laughs> so, but the same same van got us all the way through five hundred and forty thousand miles. That sounds like it could be a record or something. I don't know. We were gonna the that we were like I think at the time it was like we were getting up there and we were I think maybe at five hundred thousand we were like I don't know what the equivalent of like in record sales. I don't know if there's that, if that's anymore, if they've changed it, but you know, when you go platinum, right. And it was gold that, was 500,000. Okay. Yeah. yeah. We were going to, we were, we were like all bent on spray painting our van gold when we hit up, we hit 500,000. <laughs> we never did it, but it would have been pretty cool. That would have been know. really cool. I don't know if I've seen a spray painted van out there. What color gold was that? Was that, was that it was like, like a, we had a silver van, silver van. Yeah. Could have called, claimed it was platinum. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> So that's the story of the Garage Monkeys. 
Yeah. <laughs> and again, I'm going to include a, a, a link to the, the video. I think I found it. Um, oh, rad. And so you've been in now two commercials, right? With the, <laughs> yeah. with the Swiffer one too, which we'll exactly. talk about, I'm sure, a little bit later. But uh, okay. So your sound then changes in the band, uh, I would say, with High Everything's Great, which is a, a great album. Um, it's awesome, hey. I think. And it's for people that haven't heard it, uh, I would call it, I guess, alt country, whatever, Americana, something or other. How did you guys end up arriving at that sound? Like, how did the Limbeck sound with your twangy leads stuff, your style of background vocals, Rob's distinct style? Like, just how did you guys arrive at that? Yeah, I think it, I think it was a lot of things. It was after putting out that first record, the the one as our, you know. I mean that that first record was kind of at the time of that Apple thing, so everything got everything got really weird. Like that that record got printed and pressed and and got uh, pressed. The CDs were pressed incorrectly, so there was glitches on them. But they didn't want to recall them, and it was like such a mess. And we were so bummed. But we were det- at the time we were determined to tour, so we we toured quite a bit on that. And I think. Honestly, just having I, I, it's, it's probably it's probably stereotypical for a lot of bands, but having that much time in the van and like it really changes your dynamic of of like hanging out with your bandmates and your interests and stuff. And I think I I believe it was Rob brought in some some different CDs into our rotation of our, our stereo rotation, and it was a lot of kind of older folky 60s stuff like a lot of bob dylan and um the birds and stuff like that and we just it it seemed to really match what the life we were living at the time i guess that's kind of stereotypical the road life yeah yeah yeah, yeah, but we're like man this is so on point and just really it just really hit home with us i think and and definitely uh, was a huge influence on us. And then, you know, too, like we, like still being huge fans of the get up kids at the time, I think that may have been on the, I don't know. I don't, I'll have to, I have to look at a, at a Wikipedia or something, but I don't know when on a wire came out for the get up kids. But I remember we were, we made our first record that first, uh, we'll just, we'll just keep it nameless, (laughs) but we made that first record with Ed Rose out in Eudora, Kansas at, um, the same, like the get up kids ended up, ended up owning part of that studio, but, and Ed Rose made a bunch of, he produced and recorded a bunch of the get up kids records. But we, I, I remember passing through Kansas and I think it was, maybe it was like at the same time. And Ed mentioned, he's, he's like, man, the, uh, some of, some of this new get up kids record, man, he's, he's just like talking all about, uh, like the guitar playing on, on the record. Oh, I know what it was. He's like, Cause they used to be so into these octave chords and we were too, um, guitar term right there, but, uh, kind of, kind of like more, more evident in a lot of that kind of, kind of indie rock at the time. There's like a lot of that octave chord styling going on. Sure. But, um, yeah, he's like no octave chords on the new Get Up Kids record, man. And I was, and it, and it was like tripped me out. And I was like, well, what are they, what are they doing then? You know, but uh, you know, su- simultaneously getting into all these other records and and seeing this other really uh, kind of like 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 Keith Richards style really hit home with me. Just really tasteful, but musical and 
and helping instead of taking away, like not, not, not shreddy or anything, but just, just super tasteful. I think those, those couple of things happening for me personally influenced where we were going. And then Rob, like songwriting wise, I think just starting to tell better stories and, and, um, kind of get back to basics. I think, uh, all those things kind of happened at the same time to lead us into that record. And how did you guys write? Like, how did your songs come together? Rob, Rob generally would have a basic kind of verse chorus thing. And then we would get together and hash some stuff out if there was more to more to hash out and then get together with the full band and just a little practice space and, and try to get through it in one piece. And then, um, and then I think it just kind of was like, once we kind of solidified a song from there, um, we, we, we just move with it. I, there wasn't a lot of, a lot of back and forth at that point. I think maybe a little bit more of, um, a little bit more time was spent when we get to the studio at that point, but we would really get things, uh, things done with with rob would have a pretty good idea and then i would get into it and then we would bring the full band into it and then most times it would work pretty well from there and you did record uh high everything's great with ed rose right we did yeah exactly and was that in kansas it was okay and did what was the recording process like for that album? Was it pretty drawn out? Was it pretty quick? Did you guys have most of the songs arranged and pretty much ready to go when you went in, or did you need to do a little bit of tweaking? Yeah, we had we had it mostly like I would say ninety percent dialed at that point, and then um, we did we did a full demo session in Orange, California, with with at our practice space. There was a great guy that kind of just ran up ran a basic demo of our whole record at that point. And there was just, I think there were a couple question marks for songs, but the majority of what's on the record was there and we demoed the whole thing and then sent that out to Ed. And then he kind of wrapped his head around it a little bit. And then when we got out there, I remember that record, we didn't have a ton of time. I mean, in comparison to what we had on our, our other two records after that. But um, it was, and then we kind of, we did kind of the whole, I mean, are you are you asking like tracking wise, like how we or well, well, yeah, just in terms of like were these songs more fully formed by the time you got yeah, to the studio for this one? Um, totally, okay, totally, 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 almost ninety percent there. And then def, def, I mean, definitely there were a, a couple of kind of production decisions that were made on the spot just after after playing a song in the studio and being like, oh, it'd be cool if we, you know, flip the bridge and made this part quiet and. Um, I mean, I think we were definitely thinking a little bit outside of our our comfort zone at that point and trying different ideas production wise too. like um, just bringing in. We I know for a couple sections, we brought in a, a different drum set in a different room to just get a different sound for a certain section and um, messing around with slide guitar a little bit at that point and some other instruments, I think. Was Ed driving that much? I think or was we, he all, kind of- we all were like, he, he was just such a, a like a man, like, you know, like when you have, like there's a lot of bands that just kind of like really gel with the producer. And that was, he was that for us. Cause I think he knew, he knew when he could push us on stuff and just like really get a good performance or get a good melodic part. Cause he, he would, 
he would be like, oh, that's not it. I know there's something else out there that we could try, you know, and we'd mess around with it until we got it. So okay. I think, um, yeah, he, he was a big part of that. I think we were like Rob and I were definitely messing around with a lot of different stuff too. Like I, I know, I, I don't know if it's there, there's like a, when we recorded the their acoustic version of that record and it's called Hey Everything's Fine. Which is awesome and just got uh, released officially now finally as part yeah. of the vinyl re-release of Hi Everything's Great. Totally crazy. So sorry, yeah, continue. No, no, it's all good. There, the, when, it, when we put that out as like, I remember because we were touring so long on that record and Doghouse was, was asking if there were anything we could do to help kind of like do a second pressing and boost boost sales or something and we're like, oh, well, We'll just um, we'll record an acoustic version of the whole record. And Rob had this great idea. Kind of, kind of. Am I jumping too far ahead? Or is this no, cool? no, this okay. is great. Um, he was. We were also in like pretty heavy into the Beach Boys, and he got that Beach this record called Beach Boys Party, and it's basically the same idea as Hey Everything's Fine, where they got a bunch of songs and and had a bunch of friends over and strategically put up some microphones and then recorded the set so we did that at his old house in in orange california and and uh so rad it was such a such a good thing and it turned out really well like rob's rob's a perfectionist with recording in the best sense of the term and he really nailed our recording of that so it was really cool and then um oh but i guess my point is sorry i (laughs) went around the block but um we we with the cd that we released that got bundled with how everything's great there's like I guess they call at the time it was like just it was like a or maybe we just put a, a, a like a video file on the disc. It's not like it's a DVD as well, but there was like a video file we hid on the disc. And I don't know if we we actually said anything about it. I don't even I don't even know what we did. But anyways, there's some pretty rad footage that's on that of us trying like I remember we we were trying to put a like a ukulele banjo on a song and <laughs> it just wasn't working, but we, but you, that, you filmed that, it, remember, you had it. Yeah, we filmed it and it was pretty rad. <laughs> and so that's on uh, a CD version of high. Everything's great, but not all of them or it's on. So, so the high, everything's great got bundled with like the slip case of, Hey, everything's oh, fine. Sure. Yeah. And then the, Hey, everything's fine. That has CD it. has it on there. And those are super rare. And if and now I, think I people, actually have like, I'll have to send you one. I, I, have, I will like, check with you after and confirm yeah, it because that would be amazing. Because I, sure. I found it, you know, on the internet and downloaded it. And for people that are fans of Limbeck that haven't heard of this, they should definitely check out uh, hey, Everything's Fine because everything you said is totally true. It's a bunch of you and your friends just rocking out and playing the whole record. And you can hear uh, distinctive voices like Nate Roos is on there. Uh, Justin Pierre from Motion City Soundtrack. Is true. That, that was a tricky thing, though. We actually did all the guest stuff post which sam told me too he said i don't think we were actually in the same room for that but it sounds like it is like you can close your eyes and it's you just imagine no totally all sitting together i think we definitely tried tried to keep that a secret because i know i think there was one where maybe rocky votolato was playing harmonica on something and i feel like he made a like he says something that's kind of like a nod to the crowd I don't know. There's some there's some funny moments where we tried to to like hide the fact that that the people were recording after because I don't yeah I don't think we ever say that no no definitely and, and not. there's not and there's not like although we do have I know that we have video of it somewhere of the whole the whole recording session but I don't I don't believe that's on 
that video that I was talking about. Right, it's right. more like making of how everything's great kind of stuff. But um, it would be cool if you guys could post that or something. At, at some that'd point. be cool. Like put yeah, it up I'll on Vimeo because it it, yeah. it would be cool to see that. It, I'll have to dig it. for that. It's yeah, it's it's a, it's really cool because his house was really rad. It was just it's a really cool old Victorian style house like. 20s probably like 1920s kind of house and all these people jammed in it and pretty so rad. was the, the false start to is it brand new orange i think or one of the songs anyway uh you guys start and then somebody's screwing up and then you have to restart so was that fake or was that <laughs> no, legit? that was so okay. that was totally real yeah okay yeah so it, people should check it out hey everything's fine uh they doghouse the record label you're talking about which is uh where you guys released your albums they just uh re-released on vinyl hi everything's great with um a copy of hey everything's fine included which is awesome yeah. so i'll have to put that on just like for free on Bandcamp or something you should totally do that because it's just yeah. it'd be awesome to be able to have because actually um i need to i almost want to email doghouse but they didn't include digital download codes for uh, i think that was I, yeah, I, anyway, I, not I, I'm not, I wouldn't be surprised with that, but I, I, I bet you that's on purpose. I don't know. Yeah, it could be. Anyway, you should totally throw that up on Bandcamp. Anyway, yeah, so sure, so sure. you were saying that you guys toured a ton for this this album. Um, right. And so what was your role in the band at this time um, outside of playing and, and writing and stuff? Because I, I think a lot of bands, you, people kind of fall into different roles and were you doing anything with merch? Cause with your artistic background, I was wondering, were you doing any t-shirt designs or anything like that? Yeah, I was kind of, I, I don't think I was into that at that, at that point, but I was definitely into the, like more the management side of everything like that. Like oh, I okay. was the, I was kind of the, the guy that would be like, who are we going to get designs from? Like I'll email this guy and get some designs and then get the shirts ordered. And I kind of handled all that for the longest time. Which Samin uh, said that was him in the format too. He said there's yeah. always one guy in every band that totally. is the business guy. So that was you, okay? Yeah, and I got. I mean, I got a little like Rob and I were kind of both doing a little bit more of the design stuff at the same time. Like, I think he laid out. Um, he he might have laid out. Hey, everything's fine. The CD version of it. Our buddy Dan laid out the the high everything's great record, but um, yeah. So we were kind of we were kind of both getting our feet wet with some graphic design at that point with the band. But I was I think I was definitely really into the yeah the kind of uh, yeah management side of stuff. So being the liaison between the band and your formal management and the label and and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, totally. And just getting I at that point I think it was man, it's such a it's such a funny thing how how fast things have changed, but like at that point it was it was like we I mean I guess prior to Doghouse we we uh recorded the recorded a demo and then and then our demo was with Ed Rose as well. Um we recorded three songs with him and then had a couple songs come in after that and we were really excited about them so we went out to Phoenix and recorded those with another guy. Um, that actually, this is funny, funny trivia too, that he recorded the formats first EP, oh, this guy, Bob, Bob, Bob Hogue. Hogue. Yeah. Yeah. So we did a couple demos with him. Cause just cause we were like, oh man, the labels are going to flip out when they hear these two songs. So we're like, gotta get them, gotta get them recorded. So we did that. So we had like a five song demo and then we all got together at Rob's house and, and just kind of pooled, pooled the record labels that we were into like from zines at the time and then, um, you know, put together a mailing list and put together some cool pack packages with screen printed, screen printed 
photos and um, handwritten notes and stuff like that that we mailed to all the labels. And then definitely got a handful of rejection notices. And then Doghouse came out to to see us. But yeah, I think that was definitely something that I was into. I think Rob, Rob and I both were... We did zines in high school and we're into kind of that whole uh, just kind of DIY side of things. I, I maybe maybe that's where that came from. I think we were into that whole idea of just kind of like you you do it yourself and that's the way to get it done. So we did zines that, you know, did interviews with bands and stuff. So then then being in a band, it was like we got to do this for ourselves because that's the way to do it. So. And like you said, um, it's funny how much that's changed because now all that stuff would be digital. It completely. Yeah, what a trip, man! Totally, oh, totally. <laughs> it's just it. It is crazy. I mean, this, we're only talking about, I guess, like fifteen, twenty years, and it's it's totally different now. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you were into all that that whole side of it, and definitely. Did you enjoy being on the road? Like, was this something that at the time because you would have been in your mid twenties, maybe then? Yeah, early early mid twenties. Yeah, I totally loved it. Totally. And you, you weren't married yet. You didn't, I mean, obviously no kids. I don't think. No, as far yeah. as I know, right? I had so. my same girlfriend that became my wife was cause we started dating in mid high school. So she was, Oh really? Yeah. She was with me the whole time through all of this craziness. What was that so. like being a, I mean, cause you guys <laughs> toured like crazy, like Limbeck was a road band. I think, yeah. I mean, yeah. All over the place. So what was that like trying to maintain and grow this relationship? She was really cool. Like bottom line, she was very cool with everything and just very supportive, which I'm super fortunate and lucky to have. Um, she was, she was also, you, you know, like blazing through college and super driven. She's a teacher now and was going to school to become a teacher. So she, um, yeah, she was just on fire doing all that stuff. And then, so that kept her pretty busy and doing student teaching and all that kind of stuff. So I was, um, you know, just doing, doing my thing. And how'd you guys <laughs> keep in touch? I mean, like you said, cell phones were not really a thing. Yeah, just- I, man, I, I, we did, I th- I'm pretty sure we did calling cards and stuff. I think there was probably a short period of time where we had those crazy, uh, pay phone, uh, workaround things. Um, have you ever heard of those? The ones that like they mimic a, a like a the sound. Of yeah, the tone, the tones. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we had we had that at a. I'm pretty sure we had that at a certain point, which got us around uh, paying for a lot of phone calls. Did she ever come on the road with you, or was she pretty much always in California? No, she. Yeah, she wasn't into. It. We were. We were. I mean, I think it wasn't that we were like gnarly at, at that time. I think we got gnarlier as far as also goes, but we were, I think we were just so we we're, well, we were always pretty frugal on the road. So just like finding a friend's house to sleep at or, or a random person's house at, at like the early days, we did a lot of that. Like, I think we, I'm pretty sure that we, I'd have to ask Rob to, to fact check, but I'm pretty sure we did three years of no hotels just like pure people's houses and camping and stuff like that. So and you I don't loved think it, it was, you said, yeah, totally, totally loved every bit of it. Even like, I mean, even the worst nights, like they're the, I don't think I had, I didn't have the, the, the foresight of it at the time, but the worst nights were the, are the best stories now. But, um, I think we were just kind of like, this is what it is. You know, the night where we sleep at a random person's house and get shoot out at, 2 a.m. from his crazy roommate like 
I, I, you know, I don't think we second guessed it. It wasn't like, what are we doing? It's more like, oh, that was a bad call. So let's right. move on. <laughs> let's not do that again next time. Yeah. So, it, and it probably helped then the band was definitely kind of on, on the up and up at that point. Like you guys were probably building a following. I assume. Yeah. Yeah. Doing pretty good. I think like, honestly, we were really lucky too with how things worked with Doghouse Cause we, I remember it happened so fast. We, we recorded the record with Ed and then it was getting pressed. And then I, I was working this job at a, at a mailbox store, kind of like a UPS store and got a call for, I'm pretty sure from Dirk from Doghouse, And he was like, Oh, Hey, we have this tour with all American rejects. And they were just hitting radio at that, like, like modern rock radio or whatever it was. And they're like, Oh, well, we're going to give you an opening spot on like three weeks of this tour. And I was like, wow, like that was like a reality check for me. Like I'm going to have to probably quit my job. And, uh, I, I think I probably had already left school at that point, but, um, it just got really like, whoa, this is happening. And um, from that point on, we were really, at least in the early days, as far as support tours, we got really lucky from that doghouse kind of early link because that that also led to Motion City Soundtrack, like a relationship with those dudes. So we we were just on really great tours to start. You know, it wasn't like we were scrounging for for shows, it was like, okay, here you're playing with all American rejects for 800 people a night, you know? So which it was is a pretty good audience. Cause you got to yeah. bet at least some of those kids are going to walk away and say, Hey, I really like Limbach. Yeah. I mean, it was, <laughs> that's, that's it was such stuff. a, yeah, it was a weird thing now. I mean, I feel like I, 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 I mean, a lot of those bands, I think although we got, we got maybe folkier and twangier after that, but at that time too, it was, it was, it was hit or miss, you know, like we had kids that were like, cause the other pan, the other band that was on that or er, that early tour was, was kind of the same kind of like pop, pop rock project that all American rejects were doing like very similar musically. So for us to kind of come up and not, I, I don't think that we were like super Americana at that point either. Um, but definitely, definitely, uh, with tendencies to that. But like, I think there was, we were such a wild card on those shows, but it's a lot of, a lot of those people that saw us on those early tours really stuck around too. So, um, it was just cool. I mean, we were just very grateful of, of all of it at that time. So like the, the the rough nights on those tours were, were kind of just, you know, not even barely bumps in the road. It was just like, Oh, that was crazy. So on to the next one. You know, or like you said, you're playing for 800 people or whatever it is, like these pretty big shows for, the, you know, where your band was at at the time. So whatever. All is good, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, life's life's not that life's not that bad. Yeah. It's interesting <laughs> to me that like you were saying, I think that your sound wasn't necessarily similar to bands like Motion City Soundtrack and uh, All American Rejects. But yet somehow you guys fit that scene. And I don't really know why. Maybe you can explain why. Like, what was it about? Limbeck that, that it just worked. Like it just, you guys fit it. I don't know. I don't, we struggled with that like on and off. Cause we, like we'd, we'd be doing it and like things were so like, I, no complaints, you know, just like we'd play with like motion city soundtrack and have great shows and do great. And then we'd, then we'd be like, Oh man, like we should, we should branch out and try to do something like more 
on the on the more Americana side of things, like try to get shows with those kinds of bands. But um, I think when we would do that, we wouldn't do anything necessarily large as far as band wise. We just kind of dip our toes in that kind of scene. And then that would be a reality check because generally in, in those shows, you're playing the bar shows where the headliners, the, you know, the act, and then you guys are just keeping the stage warm while people are drinking. And then we'd end the night, get our hundred bucks and like maybe sell a record. Whereas with the, with the other shows, there's so many people there they're all stoked to buy a record, like just, just like really, you know, getting in tune with their own musical tastes. I think just maybe a, a little bit of a younger audience, but, um, in the best kind of way where they're really figuring their, their tastes out. And they're enthusiastic. Whereas yes. like that, that bar crowd is just, they're standing there looking at you drinking and that's exactly. They're not I mean, really, that, not that that wasn't, we, we enjoyed it, but it was like, I think at the time, we'd, we'd, we'd look forward to that and then, and then we'd do it. And then it would be kind of like a reality check that that's not really feasible to do that all the time, just financially, you know, cause we wouldn't make any money. And, uh, then we'd be like, we got to get back on one of those other, those Motion city soundtrack tours. Cause those are so much better. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. I think we, we always, we always struggle with that from our, from our angle because we'd want to get better publicity in that kind of zone. But then just like, I don't know, maybe you just not want to put in as much time to it. Maybe. I don't know. Hmm. I don't know. It's hard to say, hard to say. Interesting. But we, I, and also I think we really just, you know, hit it off personally with all those other dudes too, where it was just great hanging with all those guys. I mean, I don't, I'll have to listen to Sam's podcast, but I wonder if he would say a similar thing for them because they were, they were another, you know, I think we, we really locked in with the format at that point too, musically, because we were on similar terms and similar, like into similar influences or overlapping influences. Totally. Yep. Just kind of like, uh, you know, swimming our way through this, through this different kind of musical scene, but just not tripping on it. Just kind of like, all right, well, this is what it is. But when well, he, he and I talked a lot about the necessity of a young band touring with acts that aren't necessarily similar, just because you got to do it, you got to get out there. You got to get people hearing your music. And I, I actually heard of them on a tour with RX bandits. Yeah. <laughs> That's how yeah. I saw the format for the first time. And that they, you know, that show turned me into basically at this point, a lifetime fan of the format. And yeah. the RX bandits are a totally different type of band. Like they sound totally different. They're not, like the format at all, but just putting your music out there and just doing those shows and doing those tours was what kind of broke them. And and then they start building their own following and then they start getting better and better tours. And were you conscious of that being the, like the business oriented guy at the time in the band? Were you aware that you guys just needed to keep doing that, get yourselves out there and build a following that way? Yeah. But I think that was our, that was like our, our artistic struggle was, was to get, more in with our, the vibe that we were gunning for. So it was like, I I remember we did a Lucero tour and that, that was actually, that, that might've been kind of a rare one. Cause I think we actually did pretty good on that tour, but, but I also think there wasn't, I I, I don't remember there being a lot of bands on it. Like it might, it must've been, we must've been like second of three, you know, like 
opener than us than Lucero. So I think people were more appreciative of of us musically for some reason on that tour. Because Lucero was kind of more in the Limbeck world, like that kind of country influence a little but bit. But they were, I think they barely had their toes in it, but they were a little okay. bit more. I don't know. They they played for they at that time they had even been a band for longer than we had, um, and kind of just were their own. I feel like that maybe that that's unique to them. They were they were kind of their own entity at that point where they were like this weird kind of country rock Americana bar band that like that like just has their own built in audience. Like they're like uh, still today. I mean their their fans are just like freaks for them, which is so rad. Um, but we just really we hit it off with them as as dudes, but then also hit it off with them musically. Um, but yeah, I think that for for me too it was like, uh, yeah, we had to just kind of do what made sense, and and like, I think it made sense to get, like tour with is when we could tour, when we could play in front of front of people. That was that was ideal that's always a good thing yeah <laughs> <laughs> so i don't know if you can remember because you got to this is back away still but again mm-hmm. your band is kind of on the rise here do you remember what did you see as being the future what was your hope like what did you want limbeck to be like what was the goal because i i guess i've just i've never been in that situation i know most people haven't like do you just see yourself making new albums touring making new album touring like is that totally or, or did you no, is that all you want to do yeah, you're you're totally on point. I think that pretty early on it was like I know that you know uh All American Rejects obviously they had a radio hit and and that really worked for them and and I know Motion City kind of dabbled in that. They did. Yeah, they kind of got a little almost too close and they signed with the major and that, mm-hmm. you know, didn't really work out and got yeah, weird. I mean they they had a little yeah. taste of it and they had some songs that that I think did well in like probably in like Tony Hawk or something. You know, like they had semi mainstream success. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, we I think we just we just uh kind of the Lucero model, but I was I was a, or I am still a huge Ryan Adams fan and I think just seeing how he was able and, and still is able like he's he's not on the radio, but he's just got this this like religious following that's that will follow him after every record and go see him play. And I think that's what I was really gunning for, because there was a there was a period in there where where we, you know, you know, had done a lot of those tours and really developed a decent I wouldn't say anything even where like Sam had like they, they were doing pretty, pretty awesome. But um I think we were super comfortable though, where it was, it was like these, like in the, in the smaller towns, maybe like two fifth, two fifty ish people. And in the bigger towns, maybe a little bit over that, but, um, enough people in every week we could play anywhere and have a decent crowd that would come out and buy a record and buy a shirt. And then, um, I think that would just be, that would have been the model, you know, just to keep on that pace of, like you said, like release a record, tour it, and maybe you're touring a little bit bigger venues, but not crazy. Yeah, like but you're I not mean, yeah, like, not, cra- not nothing crazy. Just, just like I think we were, we would do three national tours a year, probably. So we'd be gone. We, I, I remember being, we would be gone around eight months a year. Oh, that is so much we touring. Like busy, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was, it was a lot, but it was. I mean, it was, it was a it was the balance where you, well, I think it, it might've been heavier in the, especially near the end of our days. Like 
a little heavier when we were on. It would be like you'd get past the honeymoon couple of weeks and it would you'd start to weigh on each other and sure. And you'd get home and you'd you'd be like, Oh, this is awesome and then have a week, like even after a week home, you kind of just get antsy of like, what are we going to do? Wow. What's the next tour? What are we going to, we're going to do anything while we're home? Like whatever. So it's kind of a treadmill almost, I think being in a band, <laughs> totally. <laughs> you just, there's always got to be something in front of you that you're, you're moving towards. Like, it's not like any other job where you just like, you show up every day. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's really interesting. And so do you remember then in this kind of same vein, did you think at all about like, were you, I assume you weren't married yet, but did you think at all about kids and a family and like how that could fit into this life? Or did you just not even think about it? You were too young or. Yeah. Not the kids part. De- de- definitely the marriage part. Cause we like, I'd been, I'd been with my wife for so long or sorry, my girlfriend at the time. Like it was, I was, I was like, I got, I can't, I've <laughs> got to do something about this and, and, uh, and, uh, you know, make it official because my lifestyle is pretty crazy just from being gone so long at at such long periods. And it was like, I owed her that at least (laughs) for, for being so supportive and awesome. So Um, did you worry at all about balancing that or making that work as a marriage or because of your wife's personality and the type of relationship you had, was it going to just be like, yeah, yeah, no, it worked. It like we toured for quite a bit. Um, still when, after we got, after we got married and I think it just, the balance worked out so well where, you know, like, cause she's being, being a teacher, like she'd have her summers off and get out at three o'clock every day. So, um, at the time she was teaching in San Clemente where we were living. So it would be like, okay, I'm home for two weeks and I'm like, whatever you want to do, it's all good. Like, you know what I mean? So it's, it's every time I'd be home, it would be like a big vacation, kind of, you know, like a staycation at least where where I would have not many, um, priorities, at least, you know, the bigger priorities would, would take care of themselves. And then, you know, if we're recording or something, we'd set aside time for that. But, um, especially near the, the, the last half of our band with John Philip, our, our drummer for the last five years or six years or whatever, he lived in Milwaukee. So when we would finish a tour, we kind of all split up and just unplug for that downtime. So that it was just, we, we wouldn't get together to work on new school. Rob and I, I guess would occasionally, but it wouldn't feel as like official. It would just kind of more feel like a hangout, but, um, it was just easy cause I just wouldn't have anything to do. Just hang out. So that balance was, was nice. And that was kind of your, your cycle basically is you'd go on the road yeah. and you'd whatever you're touring a lot, but then you'd come home and you'd do your staycation type of thing. And you'd kind yeah. of reestablish your marriage. And <laughs> yeah, exactly. What, what year did you and your wife get married? 2005. Okay. And that actually coincides with your next record. Uh, let me come home, which, uh, sorry to everybody out there who doesn't care about this at all. We probably <laughs> had to spend a little time on at least because you made it in Minneapolis and that's where I live. So yeah, that <laughs> and was you, an awesome one. and you guys recorded it with Gary Lewis of yes. the Jayhawks. Mm-hmm. So w- you guys are done with the touring cycle for how everything's great. How does then the next record, uh, let me come home, come together. That one we were like, wow, we toured so we we recognized the fact that we toured so long on the first record that, and we we didn't really have the full record there, but we knew that we had to get something done. So to to just keep our keep our touring 
cycle going. Which is common in bands, right? With that record, that well, sophomore like, I, almost kind of record. I know it wasn't for you guys, but just like you've been on the road so much, you don't have the time to write the songs the same way that you maybe did previously. Yeah, I guess that's totally true. I guess that's that's what it was for sure. So we had we had a few songs that we were, I think we even had a couple songs we were playing live, but but maybe I think we only had maybe five or six songs um, out of 13 that are on the record. So that's yeah, not a lot. Yeah. It was crazy. We, we, we were, we just knew we had to do the, <laughs> do, do some new material. It's um, that treadmill that I mentioned earlier. Like you just, yeah, you have to do it. <laughs> that was a lot of, I felt like a lot of pressure and, and to kind of, kind of go outside of our box and go to Minneapolis was, was even pushing ourselves further. And what um, made you guys decide to do that? How'd that come? That, together? I, I know we were, I mean, you know, the motion city guys are, are mainly from Minneapolis. So, yes. Um, actually I have no, I don't, I don't know if that had anything to do with anything. I think actually it was one of somebody that was working for our, um, for our publishing. Well, not even our published, like not we had a publishing deal, but we, we were, had our publishing rights through BMI and they said, Gary Lewis is looking for some producing jobs. They're, he's looking to get into producing. Do you want me to pass them on a record? And we were like, Oh my gosh, yes. Cause the, you know, kind of going back to, getting our, our feedback, like more into that world that seemed like such a perfect opportunity. So we were like, yeah, pass on the record. And, and he heard the high everything's great record. And I, I guess was intrigued by that and, and said, yeah, send me some, send me some new demos if you have anything. So, um, I think at that point we went to Nashville after actually finished, we finished a format tour that ended in Nashville, I want to say, and then just stayed there and made some demos with a buddy of ours and sent him those, which are the, like the five songs that we had, um, most done, which people that. can find by the way on uh, your band camp page. Yeah, that's, that's there. Totally. If, if there totally. are any, uh, hardcore Limbeck fans out there, you can, <laughs> you can totally get those demos there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, so you send yeah, those so to did that. And then, um, it was really cool. I, I don't know if I'd probably have to call, call those dudes and see if I had permission, but they, it was really cool. Him and Gary Lewis and Ed Ackerson, who I think I believe still owns flower studios there in Minneapolis. Where is that? Um, do you, do you know, I don't uh, know how well you know the city, but I, 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 knew I could probably look it up. I knew it so well for a while, but I don't, I don't totally remember it. It was definitely, Oh man, I'm pretty sure we crossed Hennepin to get there. So could have, I don't, that doesn't do you any justice. Huh? Happen out, here we go. All right. I'm looking at, I'm Google map. I can edit this out. So okay. No idea, whatever. I think Brooklyn Brook is Brooklyn bowl. still there, uh, or? Bryant Lake bowl. Yeah. Bryant Lake bowl. That's oh, what this is. is so funny. This is seriously probably, uh, like a five minute bike ride from where I live, where ah. I'm sitting right now. <laughs> Wait, flower is or yeah, be- flower. Okay. Yeah, it looks like it's right on Hennepin near on 28th. That's so funny. Oh, it is on Hennepin. <laughs> it is. Yeah. That's oh, what it looks rap. like. Yeah. That's, that's, <laughs> oh, no, sorry. That's the mailing delivery address. Uh, oh, it says okay. contact us directly for the studio address. So it must be super secret. But well, anyway. it, can't, it can't be too far from there. Yeah, it's got to be pretty close. That's yeah. really cool. So yeah. you guys made it there with uh, with Gary Lewis. OK, so yeah. yeah so you sorry. So you were, no, you were okay. telling the story. Yeah. So so we sent those out or we OK. So so we asked for Gary and Ed asked for more music, new, the new music that we'd be recording. So we made those demos, sent those out, and then they made this recording back to us that was those songs and they had some ideas for different melodies or chord changes and that 
I feel like I feel like that would make a great record of of putting together those Nashville demos and then like a B side being their demos, which sure. aren't aren't complete. They're not complete songs, but they would just kind of go through go through something like verse chorus verse chorus or something or a bridge or whatever. But I remember just freaking out hearing our songs sung by Gary Lewis coming back to us. Um, so it was pretty cool. So then we, we went out there. I think we did a, we did a full month and it, I remember it being January. Um, <laughs> uh, so it was pretty cold. <laughs> I, yes. As, as it often is in January yeah. in Minneapolis, yeah. <laughs> but it was amazing. I mean, I, I don't think I, although I do, I do really love the spring there. Um, I think it was, it was really, it was a really fun part of the process. I remember Rob and I, without, I guess, I guess jumping ahead too. So we only had those five songs done. So every morning Rob and I would walk, walk to the studio, which was kind of like probably at least a mile um, from where we were at. We'd walk around like early, early, not, not early morning, but like mid morning, We'd walk to the studio, then meet up with Gary and Ed, and we'd all sit around with acoustic guitars and play through a song that we'd record that day. And then once we'd get to a like a happy point, we'd call Matt and Justin and say, hey, come down to the studio. We're, we're ready to figure this one out. So that was our process for that one, like all the way through. And then some of them, definitely it was like we would, you know, just have maybe a a chorus or something and we'd have to build those songs quite a bit more with with Gary and Ed. It sounds um, like the process was completely different than how everything's Oh great. man, it was a it was flipped on its head for us. It was a trip. And then we recorded the whole record live to tape. So that was another uh new thing for us cuz before we'd kind of just tracked track by track digitally um, oh, interesting. Yeah. So for people who don't know, uh, it is, that tends to be, I think still more common is that everybody records their parts individually, uh, separately, and then it all gets put together and you're doing overdubs basically. But when you record live, the band, basically you're playing in a room and you're somewhat isolated so that you can get, you know, uh, good mics your and sounds. Stuff. Yeah, exactly. But you're still basically playing together. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, and okay. there's not a not a lot of room for error in that. In those, right, you got to redo it if you're if somebody's exactly. Not. Yeah, was that uh, Gary's idea? Was it somebody in the band's idea? I think we were all they, like that was their trip for as being uh, producers and and engineers. Like they were both very. I mean, they they. I think they were kind of just doing everything to tape at that point, and that's just how you do it for for tape. You don't want to. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it, it, it would it would be very uh, a very poor use of time if you were tracking it track by track on tape. So um, and we were just, you know, fired up on that fact to kind of go a little bit more old school analog and do it like that. We were like we were a live band. We tour all the time, um, even though we hadn't really played these songs that much as a band. We were like, let's this sounds right for us. Let's do this. And um, it was I mean, it was you know, then you get in those, those at that point where you're like in the studio and just like, <laughs> just like hoping you're not, you're not the one that, that messed up and how you have to redo the song. <laughs> like that's a lot of, that's a lot more pressure that we didn't really, uh, foresee upon that. I mean, we, you know, you kind of know that that's going to happen, but then when you get in, you're like, Oh my gosh, yeah. man, I don't want to be the dude. 
Well, especially when when you're the one who's got all those uh, little lick things that you like to do, you know. I mean, yeah, I gotta believe. I mean, and Gary's just a crazy guitar player, so that was that was a little bit of stress. Was it fun <laughs> working with uh, Gary and Ed on that and having their input and getting kind of their ideas in your songs? Definitely, I th- I think the writing portion was definitely my favorite. How we just just I have super great memories of getting together in the mornings and and just playing through songs where we mess around with chord changes and different melodies. And they, I think they definitely opened up our eyes and we might've gone a little bit off the deep end on our record after that. But we, uh, definitely at the, before, before that with how everything's great, we were kind of your, you know, par for the course, uh, chord formation on every song. It was very standard and not a lot of, um, play outside, you know what you what you'd hear like i you call it like a one four five but it's just kind of staying in the comfort comfort zone chord, right typical chord, chord progressions yeah and yeah. uh they opened our eyes to being like oh you gotta just totally you know flip this one and go here and this is gonna it'll be cool and we're like whoa this is such a thing like a cool songwriting approach that we never thought of we were just always stick into the, our comfort zone, I guess. So that working with them opened us up to a lot of, um, different ideas musically. So do you, Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say like, not as far they, they, they were into different instruments as well. Um, like I was saying earlier, but it was definitely more of a writing process, uh, switch for us which was awesome so do you like that um when the producer takes on that role as being more of a writing consultant and less about the specific recording yeah i mean i think it depends on the person i think and and the timing for the for us as a band but at that time and not having those songs yeah having half form so, songs and only yeah, you know, five. It was, yeah totally it was like the perfect perfect operation for us at that time it, it was the perfect people to be work, to be working with where we really trust uh Gary's expertise especially and Ed's awesome as well it was it was a great timing time for us to get get in there and just really hash things out and were you happy fashion. with how the record turned out yeah i mean I, I think there's some really high points and then there's some some points that i i think we would we second guess a little bit i mean not maybe not now but like at at that point, I think it was weird timing for us too. I, right after we released that record. Okay. Timing wise, we released that record and our first tour was with, um, steel train. Our first tour off, out of the, out of the books featuring the uh, Jack Antonoff, which, uh, has now, you know, he's huge blown up and everything. So yeah, people have heard like his fun name and fun and, and he, he's co-written uh, Taylor Swift songs. You can look yeah. that up for people yeah. that are familiar with her new record. <laughs> totally. So yeah. So, so Jack Antonoff had a band called seal train who were awesome and made a couple yeah. of great albums worth checking out. If people haven't heard them, sorry, yeah. continue. Oh no, it's okay. We, we toured a ridiculous amount with, with them. So that was the first half. And then after that tour ended, Matt, uh, our our drummer left the band, and then we got our new drummer John, who was our who's already a great friend, and we played a lot with him and his other bands in Milwaukee. So he joined us, and we actually we actually stayed at Jack's house, I believe. I know we practiced. Maybe we didn't stay there, but we practiced there, and we had a day to practice all of our songs that we'd play on that Lucero tour with John. So we ran through the set. 
a few times and then drove down to Atlanta to start the Lucero tour. And I think John, John stylistically is just kind of is a different style of drummer. And I think, um, I think just some things that we, we might've like, uh, not worried about when we were in the studio making that record. I think we were like, Oh man, if John was in the studio for this record, that would have been cool. Um, so I, I, you know, just kind of like hindsight things where it's, where it's like, Oh, that would have felt really cool. Just things that he got into, um, as far as, just as far as how he, how he's a drummer, like he plays differently and, and, um, has different drum influences. So songs started to sit, take on different vibes. Yeah. I they think, kind of morph a little bit naturally yeah, as you play them I live. Yeah. We were just like, at that point, I, I know even, I think we kind of like joked around with the idea of going back and just like re-recording the record live to re-release it because that was our, that was our new band lineup. So we were like, we got to go and, and it would have been called let me leave home or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. <laughs> you can use totally. that if you want, if you guys ever want to go back and possible. redo it. Cause it's possible. Yeah. It's possible. <laughs> there are a lot of great songs on that album. Uh, it's, it's, I like it. Thanks. A lot. Yeah. Really I, I think that maybe just, I think things could have, I, I don't know. I don't know. I think that there's a, there's a lot of factors involved. I think I know one of them was, was a funny one was that as, as, as hyped as we were to get into the more Americana vibe and have Gary be aboard for that. He was, he was looking for the opposite. Um, I'm pretty sure where he was not like looking to make an Americana record, um, and kind of get outside of his box and not box, but his like, you know, where he was coming from, like his, his his milieu. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that was kind of just a funny, happening where where we were like we gotta make this sound country and he's like no (laughs) so so it was just not not that that was like a bit that wasn't like a like a struggle at the time we we really trusted their judgment um with the songwriting and with the recording stuff but i think um yeah you know i think you know whatever It, it it would have been really cool to have john on that recording but it's all good yeah, that hindsight thing is really interesting, and I, I'm actually noticing that already with this podcast. I've done only like four episodes, but yeah. when I listen to it and I think back, oh man, I really wish I would have asked this question, or I, I yeah. wish I would have t- like tried to take out the background noise that's on Sam's track or something like. Yeah. And and I think a lot of people probably don't ever have this experience because they don't make things like albums or podcasts or whatever. But it's got to be so hard to then go on the road and play all these songs. And then you look back at your recorded document, which is what everybody really hears and has in their hands or whatever. And you think, Oh, I probably, we would have done that way differently now. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a weird, it's a hard thing. Cause you it's can't ever change thing. it. I mean, it is like that record is permanently going to be what it is and what yeah. it was. And yeah. that's gotta be challenging. One thing I did notice that I, I've always wanted to ask you about is it seems like uh, Rob's voice is pretty hoarse on the album. Was he having some vocal issues or am I, I making that, that up? Yeah, no, I think that, I think that was probably from, I don't remember anything cr- like it wasn't like he was like beat to shreds and we were questioning it. I think it was maybe just from the amount that we were practicing, I think and playing. We were just, you know, every morning we get together and be singing all morning and then to go and do it live and have to sing it. I mean, that that's probably actually what it was, because when you do the take, you know, you you're not going to be like, OK, this is just my scratch vocal. So I'm going to take it easy. 
right and then do it for real later it's like every everyone had to be the one in in your terms you know so he was doing vocals live too like yeah we did everything because that is somewhat unusual even when you're doing um recording live right or no i mean i i was uh, sometimes I mean, I think, maybe i don't know yeah I don't, i'm i'm not totally sure that was the only record that we've done that on but okay for us it it like rob rob we uh we yeah we had this thing on other records that we didn't do live where um, Rob doesn't like to not have a guitar when he's doing his vocal take. <laughs> sure. So we have this. We, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure we called it a shirt caster, a Fender shirt caster, where you put a shirt over the strings. Sure. And then yep, to, mute we'd, him. <laughs> to mute him, so we'd be like, "Dude, grab your shirt caster, man. You're gonna go out there and do a vocal take." But like, I think for him. <laughs> Uh, performance wise, he'd get his like solid take having the full band behind him and feeling that, you know, that I think that vibe is um, you can't match that. So I think he would get his best vocal takes on the spot with everything there all in. Um, totally different than being in a vocal booth by yourself and just having headphones on and completely. Just, yeah. I think he, yeah, I think that has always I mean, that's, it's like, we're, we're both pretty awkward with that. Like, it's kind of hard to really, really cap. I mean, not, not, not to say that we, we, I, I think we've got some good, uh, vocal booth vocals out there on our records, but like, it's definitely, like, you can definitely feel the vibe of the song better when you're, you know, like a live in a live setting. Totally. Live and setting. that, that album feels that way. I guess I didn't realize that it was recorded live, but now hearing that it, it makes a lot more sense. It's just, yeah. everything feels a lot more immediate and I, yeah, it, it feels live. So that, yeah, that makes perfect sense. So you guys, you make the record, you, but you lose a drummer, you get a drummer and then you go on the road again. Um, is this pretty much then the same kind of cycle as the, the first album? Not the first album. It's actually your second album. Sorry. Yeah. But just no, you're basically no. doing it all over again. Completely, but we were, I think at that point, we were even more gangbusters for touring, just like as much as possible. And I mean, we were, I think we, that's the thing. I think John really took to the road life even more than Matt did. Cause I think at the end, Matt was that, that, that probably was part of one of the things that was driving like making him want to leave i think was just the the amount of touring we were doing and and how that kind of it you know it does wear on you for sure um maybe he wasn't as built for it as the rest of you were i think that's probably a true statement yeah so i think we just we just at that and then and then having john come in who was you, you know like he'd been playing drums for a long time and touring a little bit not not as much as we were but just just jumped right into that role and was like yeah, man. <laughs> and we just, we just, we really hit it off. We did, we hit it off before then, but then just living in the, living in the van together was pretty rad. The platinum van, the platinum van. Exactly. <laughs> so you kind of wrote his energy almost maybe, or that energy that he brought to a touring for the first time, full time, maybe. I don't Definitely. Know. Yeah. We were just all, I think that's the thing with, with us and why we did so well on the road is I think we were always so a, I, I, we just had the uh, the vision of being appreciative of it at all times. You know what I mean? Like, I think we were never took it for granted. Like, we weren't the guys that would. We never did not. We we never did a bus tour. We never like rode buses or anything. We always had that trusty van. But um, 
not pro- I mean, no, we, didn't, we never did a bus tour because financially we couldn't afford it. Sure. But I, I don't think we would have really enjoyed it either. We always loved the ability to pivot anywhere at any time. You know, like schedules permit permitting. But like, if we if we were in a certain place, we'd be like, oh, we got to get up early so we can go hit this pizza place and hit this record store and hit this river before we load in. And, and that was all on all of our, um, priorities. And you don't have that flexibility when you have a bus tour because you've got a driver and you've got, (laughs) you've got a schedule to keep and all that stuff. Like I only rode on a bus one night with, with Sam's crew. Um, well, Sam's not Sam's crew, their, their whole operation, his, his bus, and uh, it was so bizarre. We were like, forget. I think we left like Virginia and got to DC. And every we got on the bus. Maybe one or two dudes were hanging out, and then everybody went to bed. And then you get to the venue. Everybody's still sleeping. And then next thing you know, their guys are loading in, and they're kind of, you know, slowly making their way into the venue. But it's like in our schedule, we would have you know, went to a record store in DC, got some awesome falafel. Like (laughs) we would have had way more to do. And I think, I think that's why we did it for so long too. And we just loved that part of it. Loved the not knowing what's around the corner, even though you, you know, we'd been a lot of places before it was just, it was always fresh and like, Oh cool. We're going to, you know, wherever, you know, Minneapolis, like, Oh, we get to go to pizza, pizza Luce or right. Or, yep. So near the quest, which, which is no longer open. Sam and I talked a little bit about that too. Oh, uh, bummer. Yeah. yeah. It's uh, it is no more. It's now a uh, piano bar that moved. It's a dueling pianos bar. Oh, weird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they called the shout house. Crazy. It is crazy. All these venues change over time, but actually Sam and I talked a lot about the bus situation. He said that was actually really hard for him too. That it's on the one hand, it's really nice and convenient because you get to sleep and whatever. But on the other hand, it's this teleport effect where you just show up in a place. You have no context. You don't get to explore the place at all. And you also just aren't going to be as close to the the guys in your band anymore. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I imagine it if unless you're like a big like PlayStation Xbox guy, like it'd be pretty terrible. I think that's what we were. We were always thankful that we were in the van because it, it was such a vehicle literally and figuratively for uh getting us anywhere it was yeah just the that freedom was so rad home is where the van is right yeah (laughs) i mean that's you know that's a good that's a good uh testament to that i think we were just always aware of that and how and how important that was to our own like formula and and how we how we did it i think it was just such a big part of it and so then you guys end up making one more record, the self-titled one. Um, we've been talking for a while now, so I feel like I should probably like get past the Limbeck <laughs> stuff. But yeah, I appreciate you nerding out with me because totally, it's, totally. it's been some good stories. But like, when does the band kind of start winding down, and how does the last album and the touring and all that play into it? Like, what what was going on at that point? Yeah, we did the last record, and I, I remember being so excited about it. We we'd taken the longest time to record that record, which didn't mean in a, I, I don't think we were, we, we were frivolous with that time. I think we just, we took a month, recorded a bunch of the, like maybe, you know, 75% of the record and then went to Australia for a tour and then came back with those kind of fresh ears 
to make some tweaks and and finish a couple of extra songs that came in after after that Australia tour. And I just remember us being so excited about the record, everything about it. Like we were such a solid lineup band wise. Um, uh, and our, our unofficial official fifth member of the band, our tour manager, road manager, John cheese, he was everywhere with us and just feeling like such a great operation, I think. And then that record came out. Our artwork was done by an artist that I, I still look up to Jesse Ledoux. Who who done like the shins, uh, shoots too narrow and some page of line stuff. Anyways, he just everything was on point. And then I remember us doing some touring, and we did a lot of. I think we did at least one format tour, if not two, that were always really awesome for us. Like that was just a great musical. Yeah, I saw you guys at the Station Four in St. Paul, another venue that unfortunately is closed. But that was oh, a tour wow. with, with Steel Train, the format, and uh, you guys. I think. Yeah. I have, that was a great, I have a great, like vivid, great story from that one. Oh, you should, you should definitely share. Yeah. Well, okay. I'll, I'll tell you now. So, so I don't forget it. We, we, we were all, we pulled up and that was, that one's right down from the river, right? Or right up from the river. Very close. Yeah. Yeah. So we were all loading in and Piebald was on that show and as was, um, Ruben's accomplice and we were all in the back and we were hanging out and see this guy, this guy walk up, the fisherman guy uh, with a catfish and he, it was, it was like wrapped in newspaper alive still. And he throws it in the dumpster and, and like a few of us were hanging out backstage and we're like, what, what just happened? What are you doing, man? He's like, I just caught this catfish and I don't, I don't know what to do with it. And we're like, (laughs) well, why the heck are you dumping it in a trash can? And he's like, I don't know. And so we like, this was before the doors opened and we all, we like run in the venue. We're like, who has a bucket? Is there a bucket in the venue? And I, it, there was a leak and they had like a service elevator and there was a leak in it. And I remember there being a bucket there. So I grabbed this bucket and like Travis from Piebald goes and fills it up with water. We go grab this fish out of the dumpster. And there was like this parade of like homeless looking band dudes bringing a catfish in a, in a bucket down back down to the river and we saved its life. <laughs> and then we ran right back up and Ruben's, I believe Ruben's accomplice opened that show and a couple of their, their dudes were with us and they like ran right. We all ran right back in and they had to immediately start playing right after they got back. But we, it was like such a, such a celebration. We were so excited. That is an good, amazing. It was story. a good day. That happened at Station Four. I feel like that should be a song. Somebody, I know, right? Or so you should just write that There's song. Some good stuff in there. <laughs> the, the catfish that you saved and delivered back to the river, and who knows where that catfish is now? But I'm sure he's he's thrilled that he was rescued by yeah. Piebald, uh, <laughs> Ruben's <laughs> accomplice, totally. and Limbeck, and who knows yeah. who else? Yeah, that that venue was a really uh, <laughs> grody place, but it was awesome, and it was kind of yeah. sad that it closed. But yeah, yeah that was, was our sole show there. That was the one time we were there. It was a it was a Actually, I tell a story to Sam about about that show in the episode, so you'll have to listen to it. It's, oh, it's not too exciting, but just just basically, you guys seem like the nicest, happiest, whatever dudes, and yeah. See, we were on a high from saving that catfish. Exactly. That's what it was. <laughs> Little did I know now that you, you guys now were in such know. a good mood because you saved totally. a catfish. Totally. So you were saying that that tour was kind of everything was going great. You thought like you you're feeling yeah. really good about everything. Everything was going great, and everything continued to go great. I think that was probably. Oh seven, was it oh seven? Pro- probably around that time. 
Um, yeah, yeah, it sounds about right. Yeah, and then um, and then I think that was honestly that was the beginning of the recession hitting. So, or or maybe it wasn't a recession, but it was gas gas prices. I think it was everything. It was all the above. It was like gas prices hit, and they were doubled what they were, and then uh, recession was hitting and slowing down people that go to shows and um, and people buying records. I mean, that was a, that was a whole other trip. I mean, Na- I think Napster was gone, but just like it was the ability to download music, which I I greatly flip flopped on. I was like, for a while I was like kind of more like the, the, like the more, the merrier, the more people that listen, the better. Whereas like download whatever you want. And then I would get really like, Oh man, I got to buy everything. And just like, I, I flip flop pretty hard, but whatever at that, at that time, I feel like people just weren't buying records as much, which was kind of defeating. Um, it was the perfect storm, all that stuff happening. And then I realized I was having a kid Ah, okay. uh, It was kind of like all this stuff simultaneously hitting, which was just like, I don't know. This makes, this doesn't really make sense anymore because we're not making the money and that, and you know, me being the, the, the more business end, end of things, it was like that hit home really fast where I would see the numbers and be like, this is just not making sense. Like we can't, continue like this where which you know our career wasn't at the point where i was hoping it would be at that time where we could still comfortably or 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 like almost comfortably do do what we do it was just like this isn't this isn't gonna do it this isn't gonna make sense so you don't have to answer this question if you don't want to but out of curiosity like just ballpark like what when you were guys when you guys were doing well what would you have been taking home net in a year back then because I, th- I think a lot of people have no idea. I have no idea. Like, if you oh, guys are doing yeah. well, like, do you even remember? Yeah, I mean, like, just total ballpark. Shoot, it had to be less than twenty grand. Okay, each, each yeah. So, but if, probably if you, between between fifteen and twenty a year. So it could be like a supporting salary for your wife or whatever, but it's not like you're 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 not doing amazing. Like you're not doing full time job salary, you know, skilled full-time job salary. For yeah, sure. no, no. And I think that, I mean, that's what it felt like that. It felt like it was just getting worse. At that sure. Point. So it was like, and I don't think that, and that's what was frustrating musically and, and just, you know, being in that position where it was like, we're at the, in our minds, I was like, we're at the top of our game. We're doing so well. as far as I was concerned and like, you know, doing what we could do, but like things aren't happening how I'd like them to happen. So, and you've got this kid coming by the way, and I've got a son on the way. So yeah, it was just a lot of pressure. And I think that was that it stressed me out too. Cause I was that dude who would be like, Oh my gosh, it's nine 45 and there, this room isn't as full as I should be, you know, just like everything was a stress factor at that point. And it just was kind of like, the the cons outweighed the pros for for everything and we were I don't I don't know we still had fun not to say that it wasn't fun but that stress was definitely affecting the fun level well if you would have been probably 5 to 8 years younger it maybe wouldn't have affected you so much but yeah, you're true. starting to think like okay I've got responsibilities and this is a job like it has to I mean it is a job you're having fun and you're you're making records and all that but you still you know 
like you were saying, it's got to be the pros have to outweigh the cons, which to yeah. me is like, that's a job in a nutshell, right? <laughs> yeah, totally. And so, totally. so you've, were you the one then who drove that decision to say, Hey guys, you know, we just, we can't do this full time anymore. Or were the other guys kind of feeling the same way? No, it was, it, it, I, it was definitely, I, I feel, I mean, I, I remember being like really stressed about even bringing that up, I think. Um, yeah, I remember that being really hard for, for me, just, just feeling, feeling like, like I didn't want to, uh, wave a white flag or anything. Cause we were such a tight unit and such great friends and not that that's changed, but just like, I feel like that, I knew that if we were going to stop that, obviously that lifestyle is going to change. And, and I still, you know, I still miss things like that, like the ability to, pass through Minneapolis three times a year. Like that hasn't happened. So, um, missing stuff like that and just, you know, hanging out with those dudes was like, it, it was, you know, reality set in. It was like, it was like, this can't happen, but I'm going to really miss this. And how old were you at the time when this all happened? I, I guess 2008 would have been when it was. Yeah. 2008. <laughs> yeah. I got to do the math now. Oh, Thir- 29 30 okay yeah that's that it, it makes sense like this is all six now okay 20- yeah 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 so that was crazy that was crazy and i i just well, well i also remember though i also remember this is a vivid story i hope justin doesn't get mad at me for saying this but we were playing uh there's a festival in lawrence kansas and we were like i, I it was one of those other things where it was like we're doing festivals that are that like we're playing with Dr. Dog, which was a band that I also looked up to uh, or, or admired musically and, and like aesthetically for, for what they did and how they did it. I think just everything was on point and we were playing with them and a bunch of other rad bands. And then um, we were supposed to go to the studio the day after the festival just just go to Eudora, Kansas to, to, to Ed's, Ed's studio. Yep. Record a record a uh, Lemonheads cover for this project, and like we we'd finished the show. It was a little bit of an early show, and we were like, "Oh, we're gonna go back to to uh, Eudora and and or, U, or Lawrence, I think, and and hang out." Just like I think we we're going, to, yeah, just going to Lawrence, hang out at a friend's house, and and then go to the studio in the morning. And Justin's like, oh, I'm going to stay here and like, you know, just hang at the festival. And we're like, all right, well, you know, like whatever. That's cool. But you, you got to be at Black Lodge at 11 a.m., let's say, or whatever. And then, um, you know, he like he he doesn't meet up with, the, uh, with us that night. Then next day, his cell phone's not working. And and we're like kind of freaked out because we don't know where he is and. And then we go to the studio and he's not there. And then um, a couple hours roll around and we've got this song dialed and we're just, you know, like getting pretty bummed at the point. And then there was, I think there was a, there's part of me that's like, if we're not really taking this as serious, seriously as we should, like, it's still fun. Not to say that we can't, you know, have a good time, but like, we're supposed to go, we're paying money to record this song. And like, if we're not taking it seriously, I think that probably was maybe just getting older and, and having that vision of like how, 
important things are, you know, kind of the more business side of it, the whole thing. Yeah, sure. I was like, we can't be messing around like this. And I think that was, that was another thing that kind of like put, put the weight in, in the spot of like stopping doing it. Cause I don't think it just felt like we weren't taking it seriously enough. You know, to, to justify the, the huge time commitment. Yeah, yeah, the whole thing. Like it was just, it was such a small thing, but it, but it definitely just had this bigger effect on me. Just we got to, we should, we should, we should be more serious about this if it's really what we're trying to do. So, so yeah, so then we. That's it. That's another trivia thing. We actually had this uh, this guy Nate Harold, who played in a bunch of bands, but then he played in Fun. And now I think he's playing with Nate Roos, playing bass full time. But he played oh, on this, yeah, yep, sure, yeah. He played on this Lemonheads cover that we've never released. So Bandcamp someday. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I, I think we were we were kind of like holding our breath to see if if the project that it was was ever going to happen. But um, it'd be awesome for Bandcamp. I I love this. It's, we did Down About It, which is like a. I think it's a shame about or yeah, shame about Ray era Lemonheads, which like Lemonheads is one of my favorite bands. Um, yeah, so we recorded that; it's really rad. But okay, Nate, Nate, played, Nate Harold's the guy with the swoopy hair. Wait, yeah, he, wait. Yeah. So he played with you guys back then. He looks like he's five years old now. <laughs> yeah, he just he 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 toured in some other bands and was also uh, a Lawrence guy. I think I don't know if he was like born and raised there, but he was definitely in Lawrence a lot enough for us to be pretty tight with him. Okay. How so, far is uh, Eudora from Lawrence? Like 10 minutes. Okay. That makes more yeah. sense. Cause I know Matt Pryor is based out of Lawrence and actually I have yeah. a, a coworker of mine. Uh, <laughs> he lives in Lawrence. So I've been telling him about all this music stuff that is kind of based in there. And he's like, Oh, oh nice. I've never heard of the get up kids. I'm like, Oh, oh man. Wow. And you know, new Amsterdam's <laughs> Matt Pryor's thing. It's like, you gotta yeah. check it out. <laughs> yeah. Matt, uh, Ryan, the drummer from the get up kids lived in this house. Uh, like, if you talk to a Mass Street, Massachusetts Street's like kind of the main vein of downtown Lawrence. Okay. So that night we were hanging out at Ryan's house, listening to records, which is like such. A, he had this. I just remember hanging out and hey, this rad house like right off Mass Street. You have to tell him it was off Mass Street. Okay, I'll but, do uh, that. Yeah. So so he was there. Uh, Nate was Nate was in town, and I, th- I I remember he played with this band called Kofax. For a oh, tour. Yeah, yeah I remember t- Colfax. Yeah, we toured with them when he was playing bass with them. So we got to be pretty tight with him. And then when we were in the studio, we were like, anybody know bass players? And and then they were like, Nate's probably in town and had him come over and then he just knocked it out. Um so yeah, so that was that. That was that. But um yeah, that was kind of like the flip where it was like it was it was really difficult because I know I know it was definitely my you know, coming from my more business end of things, it was definitely something that I initiated, I think. But I think maybe the guys were feeling that. I think Rob Rob definitely had his girlfriend that became his wife at that point, too. So I think that was on his, probably on his mind as well. Maybe not as much, but um, we all we all felt it. I think we all felt that things were getting harder and we thought we were, we thought we were so good. So, yeah, yeah. So it was like, it was, it was just a, a weird time. That concludes part one of my interview with Patrick Carey. Listen to part two to hear me talk to him about what it was like to transition from the life of a touring rock musician to working as a graphic designer full time. Thanks for listening.